Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Neil the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history behind it. And this time round, we're doing something really different. Here's a clue. If you could just imagine 75,000 people making that noise. Yeah, we're talking about football. And in particular, we're talking about the FIFA World Cup, which is officially referred to as the World Cup finals which are now live in russia and allows me to talk not just about football but perhaps more importantly about soft power something that echoes throughout history and is embodied by the world cup this is also going to allow me to talk surprisingly about China quite a lot, seeing they're not even in the World Cup and are currently ranked 75th in the world behind such powerhouses and also really small countries like Albania and Panama. Even Syria, which is currently at war, has a higher FIFA football ranking than China does at the moment, but it's all part of China's soft power. So if this sounds intriguing, come with me on a journey where you don't necessarily need to know what the offside rule is all about. You got here, Brenda. This guy has been creeping around since at least 1700. Not possible. You've been here for three and a half hours. How many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, and always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. So, let's get down to it. But before we get going, it's always worth saying you can keep the conversation going 
with us here at Neon. First of all, we've got a Patreon page. If you go to Patreon forward slash Neon Podcast, that's patreon.com forward slash Neon Podcast, you can help support the Neon Revolution that's going on right now. If you just want to talk to us, you can find us on neonpodcast.com and Neon Podcast, both on Facebook and Twitter, and me, Jem Daduchu. You can talk to me on my Twitter account, which is, funnily enough, just Jem Daduchu. That one was still available when I, when I went on Twitter. But now let's get into the good stuff, shall we? So let's talk very briefly about the history of football. And what's interesting is everybody knows that when it comes to modern day league football, it was invented in England specifically, but let's be polite and just say Britain generically in the 19th century at a time when there was the British Empire, the largest empire the world has ever seen, taking up roughly about a quarter of the world's population and about roughly a quarter of the world's landmass. It was simply the biggest empire ever. But here's the thing. When we came to the Olympic Games in China in 2008, there was a release of some new information about an ancient scroll that describes, I think it's around about 900 AD, of a bull based on kicking a, a bull around a field. And this was shown by the Chinese as to being the origins of football. Now, what this is really about, as I said at the top of this podcast, is soft power. What is soft power? Well, if you can't invade a country, if you can't bring it to its knees in terms of economics or just simply by force or by political bullying, then maybe you use softer forms of influence. A classic example of this will be during the Cold War, where undeniably the West won. The whole world, the areas not within the sphere of NATO and the West in general and the Soviet bloc, they had a choice of which movies they should go and watch. Do we go to the local cinema to see the latest Tartovsky uh, masterpiece, and he is an amazing Soviet-era director, or do we go and see the latest Hollywood blockbuster like The Godfather or Jaws and the people of India? and Thailand, and South Africa. Well, they went to see the Hollywood movies rather than the Soviet stuff. So as soon as you understand that, as soon as you start thinking, oh yes, America. America has this reach beyond missiles. The single biggest brand in the world is Coca-Cola, owned by America, as opposed to, um, I'm struggling, please help me with a Russian uh, brand name, I can give you one, Gazprom, but you probably struggled to even get there. So soft power is a way of influencing people. If people want to wear blue jeans, eat at McDonald's, watch Jaws, then they're going to listen to what that country's producing. And you can sometimes surreptitiously sneak in little comments about America in one form or another. Don't forget, the opening line of The Godfather is, I believe in America. Now, obviously, that's slightly subverted because it turns out to be a, 
a sort of not quite grieving, but a very anxious and emotional father going to Marlon Brando, the godfather, and looking for justice. So, yeah, uh, that is kind of subverted. And if you like, that is something that I'm very proud of Western cinema and indeed TV as well, because we have the confidence in places like Britain and America to not only wave the flag and talk about our successes, but to also peer into the dark underbelly of our societies too. And as exciting as some Iranian cinema is, and as epic as some of Chinese movies are, they don't come from democracies in the pure sense of the word, and there is absolutely government censorship. So basically, you say how awesome the government is. You don't have an opportunity to say, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. What on earth does any of this have to do with the World Cup? Well, I'm, I'm getting there, guys, but before we make that jump, I'm going to talk about sports events in general. Of course, the granddaddy of them all is the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games were created in ancient Greece, and yet they continued under the Roman Empire until we get to the Christian Emperor towards the end of the Roman Empire, a guy called Theodosius, who not only damaged one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Zeus, because it was a pagan site and not Christian. He's also the man who put the epic walls round Constantinople, so he was quite the constructor himself, but he also banned the Olympic Games. He saw it as pagan in origin, and therefore we shouldn't be giving any time to the pagans. We're all Christian now. Boo, Theodosius. Fast forwarding about 1,500 years and the modern Olympics were born. But the thing about the ancient Olympics is they weren't the only international or intercity events going on. There were these huge chariot races in the Roman Empire, which brought together peoples from different cultures, different languages, different continents sometimes, to cheer for, is it the red team or the green team, that the, the actual charioteers were named after colours. It led to such fevered situations that in the late Roman Empire, in Constantinople, this is in the Eastern Roman Empire, there were riots that lasted days, killed hundreds, and ended up needing the army to come in and settle things down. At that point, the sport was getting blurred with politics. And as I said, the Olympic Games weren't the only one, not just chariot racing, but there are things like the Corinthian Games. There were lots of different opportunities to basically say, look, ra rather than having a war, let's just see the best we can do in terms of our people against your people. It's worth pointing out that in the Olympic Games, there were uh, all the athletes uh, did the sports naked. Don't see that nowadays. Also, Spartan women were well regarded for their for their sort of firm physiques. So you're never going to see that on TV because, yes, the ladies also did sports naked. Uh, so anyway, you've got all that going on in the past. And there are also incidents in history where two armies have turned up in front of each other. And actually, rather than having a battle, one champion from one side and another champion from another side would come together and perhaps have a fight or show some martial skill. There's a wonderful story in ancient China, I think this is round about uh, 500 BC, where a Chinese general actually juggled 
nine items up into the air and they and caught them all and continued to juggle them. And this so awed the other army, they didn't even fight. So now we're getting to the point where individual skill can make people pause for a moment and think, maybe we should do it their way. We're impressed with their skill set. We'll just do it their way. You can, there's even a biblical example of that, one that you probably all know, but perhaps don't realize, David versus Goliath. And with David and Goliath, the point is that because David slew the champion of the Philistines, Goliath, a battle didn't happen. Instead, David won the day purely through his own skill. And if you are looking at, let's say, Sparta or Athens, and they seem to have the fastest runners, the guys who can hurl the javelins furthest, there's probably a part of you thinking, well, okay, that may be the cream of the crop, but they're a lot better than our guys. Maybe we shouldn't go to war with them. This is all soft power. And indeed, when you look at the refounding of the Olympic Games, just at the turn of the, of the 20th century, just before, I should say, the idea was to bring the world together at a time when everybody recognized we've got major empires here. There's the Russian Empire. The Germans did actually have an empire. There's the French Empire and the British one too. And actually, maybe we should just sort of play nice on a sports field rather than go to war. It didn't work. We ended up having World War I. But the point is, it started to show international pride in sports again. Now, going to football and going back to that Chinese chronicle that claims to have had some kind of football match happening you know, more than a millennia before Britain invented the, 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 the modern game, I'm going to say this. Look, it's still up for debate. The Chinese are emphatic about it. But then again, Chinese archaeologists and historians don't work the same way as Western historians do. In Britain, you're allowed to have your own opinion on Henry VIII. In China, once again, you have to toe literally the party line, the Communist Party line. So they're saying, we came up with football first, we invented football. Well, even if that's true, clearly it got forgotten about. Because do you know what? China in 1700 didn't have thousands of football fields with Chinese people running around them all the time shouting offside or whatever the Chinese equivalent of that is. It must have been an, a, a popular sport maybe for a brief period of time in a brief in a small region of China and was then forgotten about. And clearly the modern game comes from Britain. Indeed in the very first few Olympic Games you've got football being one of the sports. Even though that was not a sport in the ancient times, and there were some weird ancient sports that were brought into the modern Olympics, I mean, something like the discus, that's a really niche one, okay? Well, we, you know, we could just have throwing a ball or something like that. I mean, there's the shot put, which is basically the heavy discus. Do we really need discus, shot put, and javelin? These are all sports involving throwing. Oh, hammer as well. Hammer. Sorry, forgot that one. Those are four sports of basically throwing things. Come on. You know, we don't need all of those. But anyway, this is all from the DNA of what the original IOC, the Olympic Committee, um, uh, the International Olympic Committee came up with. And it was because football was brought into the Olympic sports that led to a pause before a separate organization for international football was to come about. 
Britain ruled the world in terms of empire, but also in terms of league football as well at that time, which led to a certain level of arrogance. The very first international football match predates the FIFA by about 50 years. It was, I believe, in the 1870s. I know it was England versus Scotland, and it was nil-nil uh, in terms of a draw. Uh, so, yeah, really exciting there. So, the England-Scotland fixture is the oldest international football match uh, fixture in the world. So, if it all came from Britain, why is FIFA based in Switzerland and the standard language is French? The French didn't come up with football. Well, the interesting thing about that is part British arrogance, but also partly British sensitivity as well, because FIFA was founded, in essence, immediately after World War I, 1920. And Britain made the fairly valid point of, I'm not sure we're going to be too keen about playing football against, let's say, Germany or Austria at the moment, or the Ottoman Empire. So, yeah, I think we're good at the moment, thank you. We already have an established league. We, you know, one of the few established football leagues in the world at the moment. People, quite frankly, are more happy to go and see Liverpool play or Manchester United play, or let's pick somewhere south, let's go for Arsenal. You know, those in, in 1920 were bigger names than, let's say, the French national team, or even the English national team wasn't as well known as some of these, these other brand names. And you can argue that still exists to this day. Because if you are a true football aficionado, you're going to say this. The Champions League is better than the World Cup because it doesn't matter whether you're an Englishman passing to another Englishman. What you want is the best people in the world in your team. And if that means that your goalie is Serbian, that your defend half your defense is Nigerian, the other half are, I don't know, Russian. And then, you know, you got a midfielder from England passing to a Portuguese striker. Then what you have is the best available team. And it's got nothing to do with nationality. And I think that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. So quite frankly, Barcelona would beat the Brazilian team pretty much every time. The other thing, of course, is that if we are talking about, let's say, Lazio, well, they play together all the time, whereas the Italian football team don't come together all the time. I have a little bit of inside information about this. I have a friend who does sports psychology. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to give him away. And he's told me some stuff in confidence. But he's witnessed conversations with some players in an international team where they've been quite upfront and said, the only reason why I'm playing for the national team is because it gets me better sponsorship. But actually, the things that pay my, my wage, the, the, my regular money, comes from my league team and not my national team. And therefore, I'll put in the bare minimum. The other story I heard is that uh, the reason why David Beckham was sold from Manchester United is once Alex Ferguson heard this story. Now, I've heard this, so I'm going to say allegedly, I wasn't in the room, I cannot guarantee this, and please give me a feedback on this. What Beckham's PR agent said is every time you score a goal, you need to run to the corner of the pitch furthest away from the rest of your players so and sort of like do a big victory pose because you'll be on your own. Beckham scores. 
But as soon as one of your teammates scores, you run up to that person. You want to be the first person there hugging them because even if it isn't your goal, you are associated with that goal and you look more successful. Now, the thing about Alex Ferguson and what he said about Manchester United is the team always comes first and no one player is ever bigger than the team. So allegedly, when he found that out, he thought, right, okay, Beckham, great player, but he's too big for his boots. I want a team. I don't want the Beckham team. And so that's why he was eventually sold to Real Madrid. Allegedly. Would love to get your thoughts on that. Maybe you're going to turn around and say, well, Jim, you've just been a sucker for Liverpool propaganda. I don't know. I got it from a pretty reliable source, and it might even be in Ferguson's, one of Ferguson's biographies, okay? Anyway, let's move on. You can suddenly see that there's this discord at the beginning of FIFA. There was every reason with hindsight for Britain to be involved and for Britain to become dominant and to have the headquarters of FIFA not in somewhere like Switzerland, but more logically in somewhere like London. But that's not what happened. Because Britain didn't engage at the beginning, they were kind of England and Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. All of these bits were not part of the founding story of FIFA, allowing FIFA to be, if you like, always antagonistic to the to the English league because it was their main competitor at the beginning, and to this day there is this sniffiness around these two groups. And whether you want to argue whether the, the English Premiership is or isn't the, the, the biggest league in the world, you know, you can absolutely make an argument for Syria R and the Bundesliga and, you know, these other ones as well. You know, if you like, that's irrelevant. The, but, you, but what you can't argue is it's one of the most important. It's still up there. Some of the biggest names in global football play in the Premiership. And when you get regularly things like you know, Liverpool and Manchester United and Chelsea getting to things like the Champions League semi-final or finals, sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. But they're definitely up there in the conversation. Still, a hundred years later. Okay. So let's get to the point here, uh, as it were. So we've got this soft power going on, and it leaks into football. The Americans love saying that the Super Bowl is the biggest sporting event in the world. It isn't. It isn't even close. Over any one year, if there isn't a World Cup on, it's Formula One. Now that's motor racing, so maybe we tuck that to one side. But if it if there is a World Cup year, the World Cup wins by a country mile. You can add Super Bowl plus Formula One, and it still doesn't get close to the number of viewers for the World Cup. We're talking billions of people here in a planet that has 7 billion population in total. Football is the world's most popular sport, or soccer, depending on where you're from. And what's interesting is that whereas China has worked really hard to become a major dominant force in the world of the Olympics, they have not found the magic formula for the world of football. No matter how much money they throw at it, no matter how many great players they lure over to Chinese leagues, the Chinese league is is so tertiary compared to what's happening in Europe. It's, it's pointless. And you, people know that basically anybody going over there is just going for a payout. But China has tried to use its own soft power. 
And I want to give you some examples of this, okay? You know, we've been talking about how football, sending a football team around the world generates some goodwill, as it were. It, you know, this is why. I mean, it's all being commercialized. It's all being money thrown into it. Money, money, money. It's interesting that even though the marketplace is smaller, you can still earn more being an American basketball player or an American football player. In theory, you could earn more. Uh, somebody like Brady, for example, the quarterback in America. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. He'll earn more, arguably, than Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, so... That's weird that there is still a bit of a discrepancy in terms of the money, but you know, make no mistakes about it, people like Lionel Messi are not poor, okay? But what I wanted to say about China is, you know, they've tried in sport. I want to briefly go into movies again because I mentioned there about how, you know, uh, China wants to create this image. I remember when the movie Hero came out. And it was lauded by everybody. And it was getting kind of four or five stars from everywhere, including The Guardian. Now, why does Jem raise The Guardian? I'll, I'll, I'll say so in a moment. So I was really excited to see it. And you cannot deny it, it is an utterly gorgeous movie. And it is loosely based on a bit of history. What the story of Hero is about, basically, is this guy who's preparing to try and assassinate the first emperor of China. And he is coming in under the guise of being a musician. This is a real thing. The first emperor of China was attacked by a man with a weaponized lute. I'm not just talking about a man who played music badly. He actually had a weapon inside his musical instrument and tried to kill the first emperor of China. Okay, that's a little bit weird, but that's about the only connection. It's super stylized. It is an achingly beautiful movie. Also, there's a lot of wire work in it, so that's not reality, okay? Chinese people, even if they know martial arts, can't defy gravity, okay? But, but you know, it's worth watching. However, what's stuck in my throat is the bit at the end, where basically, spoiler for hero here, uh, basically uh, the assassin gets close to the Chinese emperor, and the Chinese emperor doesn't fight him to the death, but instead stops him by basically doing this speech, impassioned speech, saying, look, I have brought unity to China, I have brought peace through my strength. And basically what it was clearly saying is, China needs a strong central ruler. 
Otherwise, if we end up having something like democracy or, or individual points of view, we end up in chaos. And clearly, this is a metaphor for the Communist Party in China. Now, why did I mention The Guardian? Because I was sitting there going, why has nobody mentioned this? And something like The Guardian, which is hot on its social issues and looking at things like, you know, crimes against humanity. China has a terrible record when it comes to, you know, locking people up just for having different points of view and so on and so forth. OK, uh, you know, social media, you can't use Twitter in, in, in China. There's a huge controversy over the fact that Google, if you type in Tiananmen Square images in England, you get those famous images of that man standing in front of a tank. You do it in, in Google in China, you just get images of tourists standing around in China, uh, in Tiananmen Square. The Chinese don't get the information that we do here, and yet one of the goals of Google is do no harm. But everybody wants to do business with China, because it has a big fat checkbook, and why would you want to turn that away? So things like human rights used to be a hot topic with China 10 years ago. But you'll notice that not only America, but also the EU aren't talking nearly as much about it. Things like Tibet. China invaded Tibet. China may pretend that Tibet used to be part of China. But there's this pesky thing called history that shows, no, they were closely linked, but they were not uh, it was not a part of China. They did invade it. You know, if it wasn't a part, if it was always a part of China, why did they need to send in an army there? Okay. So yeah, that stuff doesn't get talked about. Hero is basically a bit of a beautiful propaganda piece about why China needs the Communist Party and a strong central president. Uh, and Xi recently has actually gone through various processes to allow himself potentially to become leader for the, for his entire life. Even the Chinese recognized after Mao, it's like, maybe we shouldn't have somebody just there forever. Maybe they should just have a 10-year stint. But Xi has managed to turn that back again. I don't think anybody could run a country as badly as, as Mao. His great leap forward led to a famine that at the down, the, the lower estimates is 20 million died. The upper estimates is 100 million died. Let's pick something in the middle. 50 million? He basically carried out World War II in his own country for no apparent reason. Then there was his, um, you know, so, so, yeah, so look, let's not go down into Mao, but the point is China is always trying with this soft power. And when we get to Deng Xiaoping, the man who did carry out the crackdown at Tiananmen Square, by the way, his motto about international affairs was hide your strength and bide your time. That was his literal word-for-word -word quote on it. And generally, what China has decided it's going to do is it will make no comments about internal workings of other countries, because they know if they do that, they're open for their own attack and criticism of their, of their own system. So they keep themselves to themselves. But now we've got Xi, and we've just seen a phenomenal growth of the Chinese economy. He's got a new one, which is basically called Belt and Road Policy, where he is spending about a trillion dollars in terms of logistic enhancements in about 60 countries around the world, particularly in Africa, improve their ports and therefore their raw, resource, raw, raw materials and resources go to China. If we built the port, we get to choose which direction they go. Jem. What has any of this got to do with the World Cup? But, you know, I'm not, although I'm mentioning China at the moment, it's because China is the growing power at the, at the time. If we go back to the original Olympic Games, it was the Greeks who were in it 
But then you have the Romans running it as well and sort of, sort of hijacking it and suddenly turning them into a Romano Greek games. You've got these people picking up stuff that's popular and running with it, running with it. And what I find interesting in the World Cup today, now, you may have noticed around the edges, they've got the official sponsors of the World Cup on their big computer banner things around the edge of the stadium. Big deal, you say. Well, here's the thing. You've probably seen adverts for Coca-Cola, for Hyundai, for Budweiser and McDonald's. You recognize those logos, but there's one called Wanda. It's blue and you see some uh, white Chinese writing on it and you go, well, I can't read that. And then it turns into this weird logo and then Wanda flashes up. What's Wanda? Never heard of that before. It's hardly the same as Coca-Cola or Budweiser, is it? Well, I've had a look into it. It is pretty much the world's biggest real estate company oh, and owns the biggest chain of cinemas in the world. And funnily enough, they're Chinese, unsurprisingly. Now, 20 years ago in the World Cup, they had official sponsors then, but none of them were Chinese and is a sign again of this soft power going and spreading. I'll give you an ancient version of China protecting its soft power. In the Middle Ages, China was the only place in the world that produced silks. And anybody who was caught leaving the country with silkworms or with information about how to make silk, that was punishable by death. Now, you might think, well, that, that seems a bit extreme, or I didn't know that Chinese were such animal lovers to protect silkworms. But of course, it's got nothing to do with the animals and everything to do with the fact that we have this precious resource. It's called silk. And as soon as we lose control of that, we lose the soft power. Everybody has to trade with us for the silk. Aren't we rich and powerful, etc.? It gives us an advantage. Now, unsurprisingly, if the risk of it is death, then the price of it is high, and that'll always lure somebody to give them a crack. And what a surprise. Nowadays, silk is produced in many different countries. It's all originated from China. It certainly doesn't all originate today from China, because massive trading empires like the uh, Venetians, for example, or indeed something like the Ottoman Empire, managed to get their hands on the secrets of silk and, funnily enough, created their own silk factories as well. Now, you could argue that the Chinese ones were the original and the best, and they've been, been able to innovate the material faster than the other places. But yeah, even though you could have been killed smuggling those uh, silkworms away with you, that was worth doing. But I want to continue talking about the world of soft power. Because, as I've already alluded to, soft power is very much associated with money. And when we come to the uh, IOC, by the 1980s, the Olympics were such a big deal, it became pretty obvious, and pretty obvious to everybody, that the IOC had become fabulously corrupt. And so, they recognized this and cracked down on it. Now, by no means is the IOC a perfect organization, but it's nowhere near as corrupt as it used to be. However, the Olympics only happen every four years, and in the meantime, the Olympics, I mean, it's got the Winter Olympics as well, but that's kind of it in terms of branding. It's got these two things. FIFA has a lot more than two things going on at any given year. 
And therefore, just the amount of money pouring into FIFA has made it fabulously corrupt. And you may recall in 2016 and 2017, there's been this ongoing probe into FIFA about how corrupt it is. It's led to Sepp Blatter, a man who is now synonymous with corruption, uh, being kicked out as the chairman of FIFA. And I guess I'm going to have to put allegedly in here. I'm not entirely sure where we are with the legalities of all this stuff. So allegedly it's been suggested, alluded to. But why on earth did you get something like Qatar becoming a, one of the host nations of, of uh, the World Cup? And originally, when you read it all, it was going to be in tw the summer of 2022 in a place in the Middle East where every day it was going to be 40 degrees. And the argument was, well, they're going to have air conditioning and uh, on, on the stadia. It's like, well, if you look at FIFA's rules, you can't have all your stadiums uh, covered. OK, so how are you exactly going to get air conditioning into an open topped arena for 70,000 people? And by the way, what are we going to do with all these stadia after Stadium, stadia. Somebody tell me on that one, which is the correct plural of a stadium. Anyway, the point is, it's a very small country. They're not going to need these uh, stadia after the the World Cup. Whereas something like Britain, or indeed, I will happily argue with Russia, they will definitely use what they've got now later on. And I think it's fair to say that the worries and concerns around Russia, it's pretty obvious. Again, there were. You know, this was all done during the very corrupt time, and there was clearly some power playing and more than likely some money changing hands. And there were some real worries about about Russia. It's like it's a huge country. Some of these venues are literally a thousand miles apart from each other. Also, Russia has some problems with some football hooligans as well. And this is the year they've actually allegedly poisoned some people in Britain. China, just like Russia doesn't necessarily play well with others internationally, except Putin is a very smart operator and he recognizes again soft power. This is a chance to show the smiley, happy, lovely side of Russia, just like they did with the Sochi Olympics as well, Winter Olympics. We're only going to show you the good stuff. And there's been no violence, which everybody was genuinely worried about. So you've got to give them 10 out of 10. But in the background, we have no idea what uh, power plays have happened to create this at least lovely facade, okay? But going to the one that's happening in 2022, people have actually died on the uh, uh, working on these stadiums. You know, it's the, the working conditions seem to be worse than what was happening when they were pharaohs were building the pyramids. But everybody's okay with this because it's for football and money, and that's okay. Oh, and by the way, you know how every single World Cup's happened in the summer? That one's being moved to the winter because they had to admit, ultimately, yeah, we can't beat the weather. No kidding. Uh, but in a way, it's always been like that. Uh, so going back to Britain and its reservations of the World Cup, prior to World War II, there were always 16 teams in the World Cup, including Uruguay. Uruguay's been there since the very beginning and won the very first World Cup, World on Uruguay. However, What's interesting is in the 1938 uh, Olymp it's not Olympics, sorry, sorry, I've got Olympics on the brain. 1938 World Cup, there weren't 16 countries. There were 15 countries because by then Germany, who was in the World Cup, had annexed Austria, who had also been in the World Cup. So they played under one team. So you're seeing once again how real world politics are getting into a sport that theoretically should just be the great game and not something about politics. But if you genuinely think there's never any politics in a World Cup, then you are a very naive creature 
indeed. The thing that I, that that amuses me is that sometimes I talk to how can I put it some tough English people and I go I'm so proud of being English yeah England's great keep the immigrants out and I go well, okay I'm, you know why is England so great I'm always curious to get why they think England yeah you know, we're not caught you know Great Britain yeah we're great. You, okay, well, for starters, you don't obviously understand where the term Great Britain comes. You're Great Britain as opposed to, to Little Britain, which is Brittany, part of France. But anyway, no point having that conversation with somebody like that. But I say, why? And you do sometimes get this as an answer. Two world wars and a World Cup, mate. Okay. So you, in the whole of English history, you are looking at 50 years. Basically, from 90, okay, 52 years, from 1914 to 1966, okay? And what's interesting is they have a weird mathematical point because World War I finished in 1918. 21 years later, we get World War II. Then, at the end of World War II, 1945, you wait 21 years later and you get to the World Cup in England in 1966 where they win. Now, for the record, I hate this one. Oh, we, we've always beat Germany. OK, well, first of all, World War One and World War Two, we weren't on our own. Let's not go down there. But also in 1966, we didn't beat Germany. We beat West Germany, a country that was still carved. It had about a quarter of its landmass carved off it and was under Soviet occupation because of World War Two. So... Look, I don't deny, I'm very excited about the fact that England won in 1966, and it's a crying shame we haven't won for the next 52 years. Who knows with 2018, but let's be realistic, we're not going to win the World Cup, okay? But the point is, you know, there is so much more to English culture and history than just two world wars and a World Cup, mate, okay? You're dismissing Shakespeare, Darwin, Sir Isaac Newton, the Industrial Revolution, you, you, you know, we're the first country that banned slavery. You, you know, there are so many other things to be incredibly proud about England, but you're just going to summarize it as those things, you idiot. Okay, I've kind of gone off on one, and I've also sort of uh, spun off from the world of football. So I'm going to finish on perhaps a lesser known fact about football, and I'm going back to FIFA, and I'm going back to soft power again, okay? Because what a lot of people don't realize is that FIFA became so enamored with itself and had so much money sloshing around itself that in 2014, it self-funded a Hollywood blockbuster-style movie about the history of FIFA. And I'm really not making this up. You can check this if you don't believe me. It's called United Passions. Now, if you are a football fan, you know what Sepp Blatter looks like. And admittedly, he didn't look like that, let's say, 40 years ago. But play a little game with yourself. Who would you get to play Sepp Blatter? You know, uh, let's have a think in your head. I'm sort of pausing and playing for a little bit of time as you're desperately scrabbling. Oh, that guy in bloody blah. They chose Tim Roth. Now, admittedly, that's not as insane as perhaps Halle Berry, but the point is Tim Roth does not in any way look like Sepp Blatter. Uh, Jules Rimet, the founder of FIFA, is played by Gerard Depardieu, and you have Sam Neill in it, okay? These are big, well-respected names. It had a healthy budget, and it launched to 
utter condemnation from both critics and football fans alike. We're talking about something that's the history, in essence, of the World Cup, where they never show any of the football, and instead it's all about the backroom wheeling and dealing, and <gasps> will FIFA be able to stay liquid in the 1960s? Uh, who cares? It was a terrible idea. It made zero money. It lost money at the box office. And here's the thing. People talk about rotten tomatoes, tomatoes, whatever. Um, I, I have a problem with it because it's either fresh or rotten. OK, and it's more complicated than that, I would argue. I prefer Metacritic. Now, I'm aware that there are a few movies out there that have the rare distinction distinction of getting zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, Tomatoes. Um, but Metacritic is, if you like, actually a better aggregator of the critical response. And it's the only one I'm aware of that has scored one, not out of five, one out of 100. Now, it is very hard to get into the 90s with Metacritic, but one is a special score for, again, I'll say the name of this movie, United Passions. So, FIFA themselves, even they, with all their money, have been able to overestimate the interest in football. But there you go. What I've been able to do, I've been able to bring in the Olympic Games, the Roman Empire, the Chinese, a little bit about the British Empire as well. All of this from the World Cup that's going on right now. I will actually add one last thing. The World Cup is undeniably special. I might have knocked it a little bit or whatever. And people say, you know, I'm very jaded about the England team as well. But that didn't stop me watching the Tunisia match. You know, it's even like, oh, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. And it's interesting to see my kids are now kind of finally at the age where they can kind of get this stuff and actually sit through a 90 minute football match. And they care and they're, they're interested. And, you know, one of my kids got in the draw, which isn't gambling for the record, but one of the kids, uh, you know, if if and if this person wins the World Cup, they get a football signed by the rest of the class. How lovely is that? And he got Senegal, and so he was desperate to find out how Senegal did in their first match. And unbelievably, they won. They beat Poland. Um, so he was super excited about Senegal. This is a, a white kid in West London who's cheering on a black team from Africa. And if you like, that's the very best that the World Cup gives you. And and just if you know anybody and they come from a country which doesn't regularly appear in the World Cup, you know, the likes of Senegal, then, you know, talking to those people about how special it is that their country, either this is the first time or the second time that their this their country has managed to make it to the World Cup finals, it is worth saying that the teams who've already got there have had to fight hard to get there. It has a special power. It makes that person feel that their country is finally being taken seriously as a World Cup football power. And I think that's lovely. And seeing people sort of hugging each other rather than fighting each other in the stands and, you know, people shaking hands, you know, if it's, I don't know, the Iranian sort of, sort of shaking the hands of the Portuguese or whatever it may be. And it's, you know, at its very best, football is the beautiful game. There's no doubt about it. But at the very worst, you see people diving and appealing for penalties that weren't there and football violence as well. And also people using it by their, for their political genders too. Like any tool, it can be used beautifully or it can be misused. So yeah, that is Neon's take on probably the biggest piece of pop culture out there because the whole world whether it wants to really admit it or not, secretly is a bit of a football fan, and therefore it influences people more than movies or TV. 
Thank you very much for listening for the Neon Take on the World Cup. If you like this, once again, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook under Neon Podcast. We're neonpodcast.com. And look, if you like this, we don't have the budget of FIFA. Please, please go to patreon.com forward slash neon podcast and help support the Neon Revolution. Thank you for listening. being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare it pays to be extra and united healthcare makes it easy with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they supplement your primary plan helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods so when it comes to covering your medical bills you can feel good about being a little extra visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.